The Boy in the Buddy Holly Glasses, Chapter 2, July 4th, 1976. We're going to miss the fireworks, buddy. No, not those fireworks. Not the ones you're expecting me to tell you about. I'll get to those, I promise. No, I mean the big bicentennial fireworks. 200 years. Worked out the math that night and figured I'd lived almost exactly one-fifth of those 200 years. Even if I was still trying to wrap my head around all those years I'd missed, and trying just as hard to remember the ones I'd been awake for. The show had already started by the time Ovi the night nurse wheeled me outside. The balcony off the fifth floor where I stayed didn't face north to State Street like the front of the building. It faced east to the lake and since it was a top floor, provided an all-right view of the festivities for any resident of State Street Center they walked or wheeled out there. All the men from my floor, retired clergymen clutching wooden canes, wearing sweaters in the summer, snorting and snuffing through purple cauliflower noses, they were already out there. The rest of the balcony, and it was pretty good size too, was filled up with folks from other floors, more old priests, a bunch of old nuns. Now. I don't mean to knock anybody. I didn't grow up Catholic, so I don't know much about them at all, or didn't. But I also don't have any repressed memories of some mother superior rapping me on the knuckles or standing me up in the corner. Most of them, they taught over at the college, the same school working on rehabilitating me back to some level of normal. So they were smart, professor smart. Father Walter, Father Ronald, Father whatever. You could have called him Dr. Walter or Dr. Ronald because they all had PhDs. They just happened to be college professors who wore white collars and took a vow of poverty, didn't want to get married either. If you needed to know what some old Kraut or Frenchman philosophized about a hundred years ago, or some Greek a couple thousand years before that, or what the original scrolls of the Bible was written on said, the fifth floor was the place to go. Thing is, I'd gone to sleep 22 years old, full of snot and vinegar, and pretty full of myself. And I'd woken up, well, not 22 anymore. But I wasn't 70 or 80 or whatever all my neighbors were. I might have been a broken guy in a broken body, but my body wasn't broke because of the bottle from getting old. I was still young, pretty young. Here I was, surrounded by these old guys, talking about old books they'd read, old fishing trips they'd taken, and craps they had or hadn't. Well, at least we'll see the grand finale. You see from back here, buddy? Ovi called everybody buddy, not just me. Guy or gal, old or not, name buddy or name something completely different. He called you buddy. Even called old nurse Laura buddy. But Ovid dates, he, he was my buddy. Working the late shift on our floor, him surrounded by all these geezers, surrounded by them the same as me. We were pretty near the same age, him somewhere between what I was and what I used to be. Both of us skinny as snakes, both of us spending most of our time, me all of my time, him a good amount of his, around a bunch of fish eaters. That's what we called Catholics back home, down in Texas, where I was raised Baptist. Turns out Ovi was raised Baptist too, his mother hauling him to church there in the city every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening, every Wednesday night too. My family wasn't that Baptist, but me and Ovi, we still had a lot in common. Ovi backed me into a corner where he could hop up on the railing and lean on back against the brick, letting go of my chair to fish the Salem's out of his pocket. Want one, buddy? I'd smoked back when I was young, but hadn't picked it back up yet, 
despite my nurse's open invitation. I looked up at the fireworks through the smoke of Ovi's cigarette and the red and the white and the blue of it all and the concussion right there in your chest. The really big fireworks they'd saved till the very end. That, that made me feel more patriotic than I'd felt since I was a kid. Boom. I wasn't ten yet. Boom. The war was over and it seemed like the whole world was having a party. Boom. And I sure hooted and hollered when my brother walked through my parents' front door. Boom. His marine uniform not as pressed as when he'd left. Boom. His sea bag faded, not as full. Boom. His eyes not as bright. Boom. But my brother's eyes did brighten when I came running, and he dropped his duffel and reached out to me. He tossed me up in the air like a sack of potatoes, like I was nothing at all. Boom. And even if I didn't know nothing at all about the war my brother had fought or far-off places he'd been, I sure loved him, and I sure loved having him back. And I sure loved America right at that minute, not for taking my big brother away for all those years, but for sending him back home. Boom! And if I could have signed up right then and there to fly off somewhere and fight myself, I sure would have. Boom! Never did serve, of course, on account of these eyes. Boom! Eyes staring up through the smoke and the tears, staring up at the blur of red and white and blue, staring up through those Buddy Holly glasses. Boom. I, I want to know your secret. The whisper came so close in my ear, I heard it over the noise of the night. Boom. I tried to turn to the side, to the face pressed against the side of my head, but I was still too slow, too weak to... Boom. I promise not to tell. Boom. I turned, but the voice and the face were gone. Boom. Turned the other way to Ovi, kicked back up on the railing. Five-story high ballet of nicotine and nurses' whites, not giving a hoot. At least Ovi looked like he didn't give a hoot, but Ovi never looked like he gave a hoot. And he didn't give a hoot or say a word when the fireworks finished up and he rolled me back off the balcony, through the fifth-floor lobby and the lounge, and on down to the end of the hall, to my room, parked my chair right next to my bed, on which sat the dark-eyed ghost of a girl with the gypsy guitar and a whisper for a voice. Ovi still didn't look like he gave a hoot, but he did give me a glance as he left my room, a glance that said sorry. Sorry for me? Sorry for her? Sorry for who? I'm sorry, she said. I don't usually come up here, but I told him that maybe Mr. Drake, m maybe you, would, would like to hear some music? Would you like to hear some music? I guess so. Well, I'd, I'd like to play some music, but I'd, I'd like to talk too, okay? Okay. I'm, I'm Mary Pat, Sister Mary Pat. Hello, Mary Pat, Sister Mary Pat. And I know your name is not the name on your door, Mr. Drake, Mr. Charles Drake, is it? Well, I, I was born Charles, and my mother's name was, is, my, my mother's maiden name is Drake. I know who they were, the ones who visited you the other day. Well, that's good because I, I, I don't know who they, they are, not really. So why did they come here? Why did they come to see you? I promise. I know, I know, you promise not to tell. I, I won't. Well, the other day, the day you were up here, that was the first time I ever even heard of them. Everyone has heard of them. Well, I take that back. You're right. I had heard of one of them, at least one, at least one of them, that, that Paul, the cute one, 
I'd heard about him before. Now, I don't know if it was that promise she made not to tell, or the nylon hush of her guitar, or if it was the black habit she wore like a child's costume, or those black pools of eyes. Whatever it was, it got me. Got me good. Got me trusting, and that got me talking. Maybe it was that she came right out and asked me. Who knows? It was like a hypnotist at the fair, getting some unsuspecting old boy to squawk like a chicken or belt a big one like Brenda Lee. Couldn't stop talking. Couldn't help it. I couldn't say no. I'd heard about him the day I came here, or the day I left there. They loaded me on into the back of an ambulance, hospital sheet thrown over me to keep the snow off. No glasses on, and it wouldn't have mattered, because this was early on, and I didn't really know what was what, because it was all white underneath the sheet anyway. And even when the ambulance man pulled the sheet off my face before he climbed back out and slammed the back hatch, the glimpse of the world I got, it, it was all white. This damn upper Midwest in its snow, not stopping for a minute, not leaving me alone. And that, that was the bone I had to pick, where we were going. Where, where I was going, where I was being taken to, with the next guy who climbed into the back of the ambulance with me. He sat down on the little jump seat where a medic sits. But this trip turned out to be a bit longer than just a quick run from a car wreck to the trauma ward. Not as long or as far a trip as I'd have hoped, but I didn't know that just yet. I didn't even know who that fellow was, not at first. I, I knew who he was, of course. I'd known him my whole life, but I'd never seen him look like that. Look looked so old. Who was it? My my brother. Those days after, well, after I came out of it, those days were rough. Once my family got there, I didn't even know they were my family. Didn't recognize anyone or anything or what was going on. Wasn't in a state to make any decisions. I guess I'm still not stuck in here or to do anything for myself. I guess I still can't in here. Yep, those, those days were rough. I don't believe I was what you'd call very cooperative. So that morning, they just wheeled me on out and loaded me up without explaining a thing. Because what good would that do? Next thing you know, there's this man I know, but I don't know. and He's all hunched over, crammed into the back of this ambulance with me. He pats me on the arm like he'd done it 10,000 times before. Tells me, we're going to get you out of here. I say, well, who are you? And he says, don't I know him? It's me, he says. And I, I know who he is. He's older and a bit heavier. Although he, he always had more of that build, both him and my sister. Healthier, more robust, I guess you could call it. And then me and our other brother, both of us, we, we were bean poles. But I, I know who he is. He's, he's my brother. But none of it made any sense. None of, none of it really makes any sense still. So I ask him, well, who is we? And he looks at me like, like how an older brother looks at his dumb kid brother and says, We? Well, I can hear the two of them up front, up behind my head. One of them, I can hear his shirt sleeves squeak on the windshield as he's trying to scrape the frost from the inside. He's cussing at the heater and cussing at the snow and cussing their luck to have gotten mixed up in all this in the first place. The other one, he's opened a thermos of coffee and says it'll be just fine that they're getting paid, aren't they? So I say to none of them in particular, you all breaking me out of here? And I ask my brother if he's paying them to bust me out, like, like a jailbreak. The men up front laugh. Sort of like a jailbreak, my brother says. He doesn't laugh. 
He can call it whatever he GD pleases, says the wheel man, so long as the check clears. They cut you a cashier's check, my brother tells him. It'll clear. Who's they, I ask? You don't worry about that, he says. Mother and daddy? Wasn't them, just some Englishman. An Englishman? A fan of yours, your songs. He he paid good money for, for my songs? Well, that's that's how it looks on paper, but he's a friend. He's a real friend. Not too many real friends out there these days, buddy, but this fellow is. It's the only way we, we could work all this out to, to get you out of here and get you better. Because that's what's, that's what's important to us, what's been most important all these years, for you to get better so you can get back to being you. Where are you all taking me? You, you taking me home to Texas? Not, not, not to Texas, not yet. Where in the hell are you taking me? I asked him. Now, they'd taken the sheet off my face, but they still had me restrained with a whole other sheet folded over the top of me, tied underneath the gurney, pinning my arms to the sides like a baby swaddled in a cradle. So I just got more claustrophobic, and I guess I was really hollering about going back home to Texas. The ambulance was moving. I could feel it, and it got me seasick, like when you're under a blanket late at night on a long bus ride trying to read a magazine article by the light of your Zippo. Your body knows it's moving, but your head thinks it's sitting still. That seasick feeling. I didn't feel too well all of a sudden, and I let them all know it. I heard the guy not driving off or something to my brother. My brother, you know, he, he loves me, always has, and he's trying to reason with me. Telling me I don't, I don't want to go see everybody, see the whole world, not till I'm better. Not till I'm back to normal. Back to, back to being me. I ask him what in the hell is wrong with me anyway. I still can't get my arms out, and I'm squirming and really starting to panic. Like like if you were ever a kid and wiggled under the porch, under, under the crawl space. And it felt good at first with this whole world of tunnels ahead of you, till you realized you had to wiggle back out. You only have the unknown behind you. You start sweating that cold sweat. Well, I was sweating and screaming and hollering that they better take me back to Texas. They better take me back home. And my brother, he looks up at the guy with the coffee, and he looks like someone just shot his dog. And he says, I believe you better. Next thing you know, this big old gorilla arm reaches back over the seat and into the back and pops me in the shoulder with a great big hypodermic. When I woke up, I was here. Which has been happening to me a lot. Things just happening to me and nothing I can do about them at all. Just wake up and take it, you know, like a baby or a dumb kid brother. My, my brother, once we got here, he said it's probably for the best I slept the whole ride. Should have taken, I don't know, six or eight hours. But the snow turned to ice, and instead of us getting here to, to Milwaukee that evening, we didn't get there till the evening of the next day. Anyhow, your Englishman, what'd you call him, the cute one? I've got him to thank for hauling me to God knows where instead of back home. No, I, I really have nothing to complain about. All this physical therapy will help. It's helping already, see? I'll get there, I will. Of course, they, they still don't tell me what's going on, not what's really going on. But I get the feeling maybe need, they needed his help, your Englishman's, to get this all together. Money help. I get the feeling he's got enough of that. Get the feeling he's, he's a pretty big deal, huh? The biggest deal. I, I, I've seen them before, too, you know. Sister Mary Pat laid her guitar on my bed and kicked her feet off it, her little old lady boots dangling from beneath her black cloak, almost keeping time. 
Those guys you visited? I asked. My, my oldest brother took me to see them, she said. I was 14, and they were the only thing I loved in the whole world. We watched their news conference on television. When they arrived at Mitchell Field, were taken to their motel. The Holiday Inn, the sign says now. It's still there, you know. Just they gave it a new name. I, I was very concerned because my favorite one, the, the smart one, was not on television. The next day's newspaper said he'd been resting his voice before the show. He had a cough, they said. The doctors fixed him right up. But, but I worried at my brother the whole bus ride. Will he be there? I worried as the bus went up and down. Will he be there? I worried as the bus passed bars with the factory workers coming and going through the doors like little cuckoos in a clock. Will he be there? I worried as my brother took a beer from his jacket pocket and opened it right there on the city bus. Crack! And it smelled just like the breweries as we passed by. Will he be there? I worried as the bus passed the Shriners Temple. I worried so that I didn't even notice the camels or any men in little velvet hats, or that the bus passed the big red ambassador sign, which means you're getting close, or the Coach House Motor Inn, which is where they were staying, and where they'd been on television. As the bus went down into downtown, and the river peaked up, up ahead, I, I worried if he'd be there at all. They call it the Mecca Arena now, but it's still there, you know. They just gave it a new name. My my brother bought me a box of popcorn, but I could hardly eat a bite. Then he found our seats, but you could hardly hear a thing. I, I screamed too, of course. Who wouldn't? My brother didn't, but I did. They even showed us on television the next day in the audience. You had to look really closely, but we were there. My brother standing there and me screaming. Especially when out they came in their suits all in a row. They plugged in their guitars one after the other, like little toy men and there he was there they all were just like on television and on their records they started to play and he started to sing and you could hardly hear a thing the screaming was so loud but i could hear just enough i twisted and shouted and i screamed and i screamed everyone did you couldn't even hear which song they were playing but it didn't matter because we loved them and we loved their songs what why did why did they come here to see you 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 said they loved your songs you said you want to go back to Texas, but that your name is not Charles Drake. Who are you? Now, I, I know I said I wasn't going to talk about my family. I'm not going to talk. Now, I know I said I wasn't going to talk about my family. I'm not going to anymore after this. But what my brother talked to me about in the back of that ambulance is what me and Sister Mary Pat talked about that night. It was a pretty important night, which is why I'm talking about it right now. One other thing my brother told me in the back of that ambulance was that it was pretty important. No, it was of the utmost importance. I still remember he said utmost. It was of the utmost importance that I don't tell anyone who I am. Not the nurses, not the other patients, not anybody. There'd be one nurse, he said, who helped arrange it all. The wife of a war buddy he'd stayed in touch with over the years. Old nurse Laura, I've already told you about her. That was it. Nobody else needed to know. Not just yet. Sure, he said, someday, once you're back to normal, then everybody can make a big fuss about you. But didn't anyone need to see me like this? Like this, he said. Well, I got real mad there in the back of that ambulance. I really lost it. Twisting and shouting and bawling and hyperventilating, my arms tied down like a lunatic. Like this, my brother had said. 
And that is when the ambulance man, with the hairy Popeye the sailor arm and the fancy wristwatch, reached back with his hypodermic and popped me one. But I didn't tell Sister Mary Pat about that, not that night, about who I am or who I was or who I used to be, because my brother told me not to. And I didn't tell her about my songs or who it was who had written those songs, not that night. Instead, I told her they doped me up when I realized I wasn't going home to Texas. They'd told me that too, all right, and I'd gotten mad, not mad enough for them to slip me a 24-hour Mickey. Like I said, my folks named me Charles when I was born, I told that girl in black there on my bed, with her gypsy guitar and her ghostly voice. But no one ever called me Charles or Charlie or anything like that. You know what? I guess, I guess you can call me Buddy, like how Ovi the nurse does. And yes, I am from Texas. You know any old cowboy songs? You've got to know one, right? Sister Mary Pat picked her guitar back up and started strumming. She stared down at the strings the whole time, didn't look up at me once, not even once, those black eyes just down at the guitar strings. But she knew an old cowboy song all right, and I knew the song she was playing. So I started singing. For the first time in all those years, I started singing. From this valley they say you are going We'll miss your bright eyes and sweet smile For they say you are taking the sunshine Which bright in my path for a while Come and sit by my side if you love me Do not hasten to bid me adieu Just remember the Red River Valley Nights out, lights out, buddy. Ovi popped into the doorway to scoot Sister Mary Pat off to her floor. I'll be back to get you up into bed, buddy, he said to me before popping back out into the hallway of the fifth floor, but not before giving me a glance that said sorry. Sorry for me? Sorry for her? Sorry for who?